Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. Uh, today I've got guests from uh, Melbourne, Victoria, Dave Ingham. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Dave. No, thanks for having me, Anthony. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so uh, David's the currently the Director of Basketball Operations at Knox Basketball. Been involved in Australian basketball as a player and a, and a coach quite a long period of time and a bit of experience overseas as well in China and Qatar. So I want to have a bit of a chat to you about that and find about those experiences as well, mate. Yeah, it's um, always exciting to talk about those overseas experiences. Um, so my pleasure to pass it on. Yeah, excellent. You and I sort of go back a little bit, I suppose. Uh, we competed against each other in the under-18 and under-20 age group. You were playing for South Australia and I was playing for Queensland. And, and also we had a bit of a season together at Cairns up in uh, 1991 when you were captain coach of the Marlins. Was that right? That's correct. The start of my coaching career. It's as a, I think I was 26, uh, 26 and... Um, uh, yeah, decided that uh, playing wasn't going to get me uh, much further in the sport, so I moved into coaching and uh, looked around for a, a nice place to uh, to live uh, in a program that hadn't been very successful and Cairns stood out, and so uh, off we went. Of course, Cairns is now a very successful program and uh, gone on in leaps and bounds since I was there a long, long time ago. Yeah, for sure. So talking about your junior days playing basketball in South Australia, you know, how, how, did, it, how did it come about? How did you get involved? Were you an AFL player as well um, back then or did you just do basketball? I played every sport, but certainly basketball was the number one thing. It was in our family. My brothers and sisters played. Um, I'm the youngest in the family. And so uh, it was a natural progression for me to get into it and uh, something that I've, I've done since I was uh, five or six years old. So um uh, yeah, it's been a lifelong journey. Yeah. When you were playing juniors, like sort of who would have been your one or one of your main influences as a junior player, like particularly playing that guard role? Well, I suppose Phil Smythe, certainly um, a fellow South Australian that um, I always looked up to and was uh, the Olympic captain at that stage. And uh, any time that you ask Phil to help you on something, uh, he would certainly come out and help. And he was always around the junior programs. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to, you know, Phil was a, a coach at the uh, AIS when I went there in uh, a long, long time ago. And uh, so I had a lot to do with Phil and uh, a gentleman by the name of Ian Laurie. And Ian was the uh, the head coach of the Australian, the national under 20 team, uh, which was the only national junior team we had in those days. And he was a long time head coach of that program with Pat Hunt being his assistant. And I was lucky enough that Ian coached uh, in our club. Uh, or moved over to our club when I was in under-16s. I just moved into under-16s, and uh, I was lucky enough to move into the senior team uh, and be surrounded by a bunch of uh, NBL players uh, mm. and, and managed to play a lot of court time at a very young age. Yeah, that's excellent. And, I mean, you know, it's, it's all about having the uh, timing right, isn't it? Like right time, right place, and um, opportunity opened up for you, by the sounds of it. It was. A new coach coming just at the right time, changed the direction of the program. Um, and I suppose our senior men at that stage were, uh, they'd had the same group around for a long time. So uh, you're right. And that happens a lot in basketball, right time, right place. Um, but sometimes you have to make your own luck. Um, mm. But this one, I just happened to be in the right place. 
Yeah, nice. The time you had at the AIS, and I figured it was about 84, I'm thinking. Um, so any reflections on that, like uh, looking back now? Yeah, I try not to give away my age, mate. So yeah, it would, let's just leave it. It was a long time ago. Oh, it was a great time, mate. Uh, you know, coached by Adrian Hurley and, and Phil Smythe and Patrick Hunt. Um, we had a, a great group of guys. Um, certainly the Institute was only in its infancy. Um, in fact, the, the training hall... Uh, that is currently used at the Centre of Excellence opened that year that I was there in September of that year. So it was a time of change and a time of growth for the program, um, but fantastic for a young, uh, young 16-year-old to be able to go there and, um, uh, and work on his basketball um, in, yeah. in a place that was trying to uh, find excellence. And so, yeah, I uh, really enjoyed it and uh, wouldn't give it back for the world. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, lots of uh, lifelong uh, friendships developed there and, and guys you're probably still involved with today in one way or another. Uh, guys and girls, certainly. Uh, yeah. And coaches. Um, it's amazing um, basketball. Uh, why it's a huge sport in Australia. Uh, it's a pretty small community and it's amazing the people that uh, you, you cross uh, and you continue to cross as you, you uh, make your way through the journey. And uh Every year when I was uh, with Basketball SA in the high performance role, the amount of people that you would see at national championships where people that you played against um, and their kids coming through the system now, um, was it was unbelievable to be able to catch up with those people um, all the time. Yeah. After, I suppose, leaving the OES, where'd you go then? Because I know you played for the Bullets for a while, but did you do any other NBL teams in between? I went back to, uh, well, I actually went to Geelong for five minutes uh, and that wasn't going to work out. And so I went back to Adelaide for a year or two and uh, I was with the Adelaide 36ers in their squad uh, and just worked out that, and, and they were a very, very good team. Um, yep. And I decided that, uh, again, through some friendships, et cetera, that, you know what, I think Brisbane are lacking a point guard or two and I'm going to go up there and give it a shot. And so I literally landed on Curly's door and, um, you know, as you do when you're young, um, I, I just went up there on a whim and said, you know what, I'm going to try out. And do you mind if I train? And um, again, everything fell into place. But I felt like uh, with that journey, I sort of made my own luck by um, by uh, training hard and giving up a lot. Um, and it all became very uh, a great year because we won a championship and uh, and I got to play on the team and got to, you know some good court time in the back half of the year. Yeah, excellent. I've got the next thing that you probably major sort of thing is when you started, obviously you went up to Cairns and, and had that season up there with the Marlins, but then the Bullets called again and you were uh, taking up the uh, head coach role of the Bullets. Well, I went to the Gold Coast first and oh, that's an right. assistant coach at the Gold Coast and yep. um, um, and uh, spent a year there under Dave Claxton and learned a lot. Um, oh, nice. And that was probably the first time that I actually learned about scouting yeah. Um, because when you're a player coach, and especially when you're the point guard, you can manipulate things. Um, and and uh, so going to the Gold Coast was my first real education in coaching. What what I did before was what I learned from when I played. Yeah. Uh, but going there and stopping playing and actually getting to the coaching was uh, it was different and, and a great learning stage. And I was there for a year, and then the uh, the Bullets needed an assistant coach, and I was lucky enough to get that job. So I went up the road to the to the Bullets for three years in assistant and then was the head coach there for a couple of years. Yeah, nice. I picked up that you were uh, the youngest head coach of an NBL team at that time ever. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> think that will ever be beaten. Uh, I was very young to be in that role. Um, 
but uh, you know we had we had quite a successful time. We made the playoffs both years, and uh, oh, nice. with limited budget and uh, and limited resources. Uh, but we did, you know, some really good things, and uh, we had a great program. Um, I was lucky enough to coach the, the great Leroy Loggins, who was about seven or eight years older than me at the time, um, but uh, you know, respected me, and and I think that we had a, a quite a successful time together. Yeah, well, I mean, Leroy, you know, Leroy's still talked about in Brisbane today, you know, like with what he did in that period that he played and, and I guess the legacy that was left behind um, and the heyday of, of Brisbane back in the 90s or 80s and 90s, I guess, still very much remembered. I think there's a statue of him outside Boondall, so... Um, <laughs> As there uh, should be. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, an absolute legend. And, you know, we were surrounded by a few different legends in that, that program. I had uh, Ron Radliffe as my assistant and Robert Sibley um, come and went a couple of times while we were there. Yep. Um, and so, you know, we, we had a number of different people that were, were legends in the, the, the Brisbane Bullets um, past. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then a bit of a stint down there at Mildura as Siebel head coach. And then and then the next stop I wanted to ask you a little bit about was the time you had at the um, Perth Wildcats as assistant coach. And, you know, Perth is still, you know, top performing team in the league today and what was that experience like working with Perth? Uh, it was it was good um, it had its ups and downs and um, some difficult periods for me but uh, again you know learning different things and uh, again a, a club that was going through uh, as the league was in those days um, you know trying to reduce costs everywhere and so it had very limited resources um, uh, but that taught me a lot because I was an assistant mm. coach, uh, travel agent, um, team <laughs> manager, you name it, I got to do it. And so, uh, again, you get to, to learn lots of different um, uh, skills um, that will help you in, in life and in basketball. So uh, it, it was a great time as far as learning goes. Yeah. Any, like while you're coaching with Perth there, was there any sort of feelings that you had when you went back to Adelaide and you're back in your hometown, you know, as, as a Perth uh, staff member? Uh, not really. Um, look, no. I was uh, I was prepared to, to, to travel growing up and Adelaide was great. Um, they had an awesome NBL team. Um, when the time came for me to go, you know what, I'm going to go travelling and, and try and find different spots. And uh, back in those days, people didn't do that a lot. Yeah. Um, I was more than happy to, to give it a go and see what I could eke out. And, um, you know, I think it's been good and I've never held that against Adelaide or anything like that. It's, uh, it was uh, part of what I did, um, you know, went to the Bullets and um, uh, go, go back to Adelaide regularly. Um, but it was just part of what I did. It was, it was I was prepared to grind away and find a spot for myself rather than just sitting and waiting and see whether something unfolded for me in Adelaide. Yeah, I was having a bit of a look uh, online and I noticed you were um, considering like maybe uh, a New Zealand head coaching job, but then you went over to Qatar uh, around about 2006. So how'd that come about and what sort of uh, experiences can you share from uh, coaching overseas? Uh, Qatar came about because uh, when I was with Perth, we went on a pre-season trip oh, right. and um, we were actually running the triangle offense that I instituted a little bit. Uh, on that tour and the Qatar head coach loved it and asked me for some information. We sat down for two or three days while we were there and I sent them a whole lot of information. And then about 18 months later, he called back and said, uh, we made the world championships running the triangle. Can you come and help us prepare? So they flew me to Europe 
um, because they are not under-resourced and underfunded. <laughs> and uh, I went there for three or four weeks, it was. It was a long time. And yep. um, uh, put in some stuff with them and helped them prepare for the World Championships. And uh, out of that, they offered me a job in the local competition back there um, and went over there. I went, my wife and family spent three years over there. It was really cool. We loved it. Um, it was different um, and it was an adventure. Um, but we, we loved it and, uh, you know, our team was pretty successful and you have to be successful to last in Qatar. They, uh, uh, the coaches, uh, amongst the coaches, the, the saying was that, uh, that they'll fire you if your team doesn't get back on, on defence on the, in transition and that's because oh, well. you're just seen as a number and, and they were quite easily to uh, rotate coaches. Um, but we, we had a pretty successful time. So uh, lasting three years was, was good for us. And in the end, it was time for us to return back because we had young kids and we needed to get yeah. them settled and teach them a bit about the Australian way of life because they knew nothing about Australia by the time we left. All right. And how would you have uh, compared, say, that league to, um, say, the NBL at that time? Um, it was probably a little... Uh, uh, we could have beaten the lower end SCABL teams, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, we had uh, Americans that we were paying pretty good money to. And uh, when I first got there, we had American and four Africans. And then it went to three Africans, two Africans. Um, but we would have Africans and, and imports uh, and a couple of locals um, and a couple of the, a lot of the, the Qatari national team was full of African kids that have been naturalized. So, um, you know, that we were certainly a very athletic league. Um, but uh, the locals, you know, they, they weren't very deep in their local talent. And oh, yeah. So um, that's where it was that you you, uh, you had six or seven that you could play and it didn't go much deeper than that. Right. Okay. And then um, off to China, mate. Yes. Then I went to China <laughs> and that was a, another big adventure. Uh, yeah. And I went there for three or four years um, back and forth. Um and I coached girls there one year and boys there the other. And um, it was certainly an adventure. It wasn't in the, the CBA. It was in the second league. Um, but it was an adventure, mate. Every day was an adventure and you never not quite knew what was happening. But it certainly taught me a lot and how to, to deal with, um, you know, when the only way you can speak to your team is through a translator. Mm. And the only way they can talk to you is back through the translator. It teaches you a lot. And uh, I certainly arrived home every night exhausted mentally. Um, from trying to work out different ways to get the message across because your translator didn't always know great English either. Yeah. Um, and so you were constantly working, but uh, I found it challenging but rewarding. And, and look, when you were there, every day was a grind. Uh, now that I look back at it, I have some very fond memories and met some great people and did some great things. Uh, I can certainly tell you some great stories about China. Um, <laughs> but when you're in it, it was a, a, a daily grind and you used to wonder what the hell am I doing here? Yeah, I, I caught up with uh, Bruce Palmer last week and uh, I was just asking him about his experience in China as well. And similarly to you, he sort of said, yeah, every day was a bit of an experience and uh, never quite know what to expect. But um, certainly, you know, hugely popular in China. And, and then also probably, I guess, a little bit of a different focus in terms of the NBA, you know, investment there and, and, and uh, what's happening in that area as well. Oh, basketball's huge in China. Um, you know, Bruce and, and Brian Gorgian and Alan West, uh, Alan um, Westover. They had they had a great little community down there. They weren't far from Hong Kong. I was. Um, you can't go any further north in um, China than where I was. Um, yep. I was right on the border between uh, China and Russia, and um, so it got very very cold there in winter, which I only experienced 
the edges of winter and not the deep winter. In the deep winter, it gets to minus 45 and things like that that are just Jeez. ridiculous. It has one of the best <laughs> ice shows in the world up in Harbin and in Heelongjin. But um, so for me, it was a bit different. I, I, I didn't have anybody around me. Um, I, I got to know a few uh, Aussies that were talking English, uh, that were teaching English there. Um, but besides that, it was um, it was a different experience because of uh, it was me. Uh, and me only. My wife used to, we'd, you know, FaceTime or whatever, uh, not yeah. FaceTime in those days, so Skype. And yeah. she said, do you know this? And I said, I knew everything that was happening because all I could do was read uh, read the internet pretty much. Mm. Um, the TV in my room didn't work. I didn't have uh, any TV. So um, it was a different existence and I had to learn to um, – to adapt to a lot of different things. But as I said, it was a great experience. I suppose yeah. the, the, the great thing was uh, uh, the first six weeks that I was there, I spent with an American and then he went home and then I had, uh, I was wondering whether I better get out of here. I was meant to be staying for another six weeks and I was like, Oh my God, I just need to get out of here. And uh, I had a knock on the door and it was a guy who was a local and yep. his name is Su Ming Ming and he's seven foot eight. Wow. And, uh, he's the largest man you've ever seen. He uh, he was actually in rush hour two, I think. Uh, the right. guy that picks the two guys up off the ground and their feet are dangling. Um, so he'd been in a, a few different movies and tried out for every NBA team. Uh, so he spoke a bit in English. And so he taught uh-huh. me. Um, and that was the turning point for me. It turned from something that I hated and wanted to go home into something that I, I, I enjoyed uh, and, and could get through because he taught me how to do some different things and gave me a list of um, food that I could order in a restaurant and things like that, that I had written down in Chinese and then in English. So I could go there and point to different things and I could get home without having to have my translator. So that opened a different world to me, but uh, we looked like quite a team, a seven foot eight guy and a little English guy in a, <laughs> in a, in a area that didn't have many English people. So um, uh, we were quite the spectacle. Yeah. And, and that was the uh, Chinese NBL. You were involved uh, in? Yeah, in the NBL, which is virtually the second league in, in China. Uh, and it used to have a – it does, still does have a very short season. Um, when I first went there, the first year I was there, uh, it was a six-week season and it was a three-day rotation, travel, train, and then play, travel, train, play, travel, train. And when I say travel, we would travel and we'd do the old uh, – the, the post office run. We'd uh, uh, stop and take off two or three times and then hop on a bus and drive for three hours. And I never knew where I was. At the, at, at, when I left, I had to get my translator to um, point out on the map where we'd been because I just didn't have a clue where I was at any time. <laughs> Sounds exciting. <laughs> no, it's exciting and, um, yeah, different. Um, yeah. You just never quite knew what was happening and the Chinese are very much about uh, – uh, you're on a needs-to-know basis and you don't uh, need okay. to know until the last minute. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they used to drop things on me all the time at the last minute and you just never knew what was coming. Right. Yeah. So is that the sort of thing that, say, um, you know, maybe like an aspiring young Australian coach you'd recommend um, sort of time in, in an overseas uh, club or something like that? it's great to go overseas. It certainly teaches you a lot. It's very hard to get in. Um, Once you get in there and if you can draw some success, um, you can usually get around in different places. 
Um, but yeah, it sort of, it, it certainly taught me a lot. It, it taught me uh, the number one thing that I think you need to have these days is adaptability yeah. uh, for players and coaches. You've got to be adaptable, uh, adapt to different things and being able to adapt to different cultures and uh, different religions and different uh, ways of life. Uh, it, it not only was a, a great life experience, it was a great teaching experience as well. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a you know, I guess a once in a lifetime thing, and uh, you can tick that one off the list. Then uh, back to South Australia uh, in the uh, basketball SA high performance program. One of the things you um, delivered in that program was a partnership with the University of Southern Australia, like in a high performance program. So, what was that about, and you know, how did how did you get all the pieces together to to make that happen? Uh, well, when I first arrived, and so the guy I took over from did the job for 22 years. Yep. Um, so, um, and, and is a legend and produced many, many great players, uh, many uh, WNBA players, um, uh, NBA, uh, Brad Newley, um, Joe Ingle, so NBA players, NBL players. Um, he was a legend and a great guy, and he helped me out a lot. And so the transition into that job was pretty smooth. Um, it was time to make some changes, and we went about making changes. However, one of the things that had happened just before I arrived was basketball, pretty much all team sports, um, except for netball, were removed from the South Australian Institute of Sport. And so that brought around uh, a lot of challenges. And one of them was that uh, the stadium that we trained at was, or the high performance trained at, was the South Australian Institute of Sports Stadium. And so uh, we had to go about finding something different. And it took a while, um, but I managed to meet some people at uh, UniSA and uh, they had a stadium that wasn't being used much. It was only one court, but uh, we couldn't, beggars couldn't be choosers. And so we uh, we made uh, that work for us. And they had a gym that we just walked straight out of one door and straight into the other, into the strength and conditioning room. So um, using their students and, and qualified people, um, we were able to use their gym, but also use their strength and conditioning and, um, and uh, put together a really good program um, that we used for five years and we were just about to change before I left, but um, still using the same um, uh, UniSA. We've j- they've just tweaked it a little bit since I've left, but yeah, we had uh, and the, uh, the NITP program running out there for five years and uh, did some great things in both the strength and conditioning and, and the on-court stuff. Yeah, nice. So obviously it was a program that was, was that sort of just mainly involving kids in the SA metro area or was it sort of like a a statewide sort of program? Uh, It was pretty much um, the NITP. We had kids coming from as far away as about an hour and a half's drive away. Right. And that was about as far as we could get them to go. But um, yeah, we would have kids coming in twice a week and having to drive an hour and a half to training and an hour and a half home. So um, we had parents that were um, uh, would do anything to help their kids. And yep. uh, obviously, uh, I think the program obviously uh, was pretty good so that they would uh, give up their time and, and certainly driving those distances to come in. And we had quite a number of people from all different directions driving those sorts of times to come into the program. All right. So what sort of things do you cover off in a, in a high-performance program like that, just for people who've maybe never been involved or might have heard of that but not really had a great deal of experience sort of either coaching in it or having kids involved in that sort of thing? So you want to try and have, uh, you know, we will led uh, – and I was very, very lucky that I started – three months after, four months after Andre Lamanis came in as a full-time head coach. And so um, 
it was great to get to know Andre and get and his teachings. And so we went back a lot from national championships or times that we went to Canberra and hung out with Andre and we came back and we taught our high performance athletes the skill level that's required to play in national teams yeah. uh, and then a national style of play. And so um, I think that that was, um, they're the two main things. And we, we would have a lot of coaches come out and try and get involved in that. We tried to work on, um, I suppose my saying was uh, the high performance program was about tomorrow and the state team was about today. Yeah. And so sometimes we would have kids in the high performance program that didn't make state teams. Um, and, and so, yeah, that was pretty much my philosophy. But we were always about trying to set really high standards yeah. and trying to teach kids that the skill level that's, that was required to play uh, at, either in a state team or for a national team. And most of the time we would talk national level yeah. um, and, not, uh, and trying to teach kids the right way of doing things and the, how to handle yourself professionally on and off the court so when they went back to clubs, they could pass that along to kids that weren't in the high-performance program. All right. Okay. South Australia, like I guess in terms of uh, performance at nationals and that sort of thing, are they uh, performing pretty well now Like as a result of, of that program you put together? Oh, no, uh, look, they, they perform um, pretty well. Um, and, and, but let's not kid ourselves. That wasn't because of the program I did. Neil Glidden was there for 22 years before me. Yeah. And our state teams in South Australia have always performed uh, at a very high level. Yeah. Um, but we have dips and troughs. Um, we, you know, we have some, some really high peaks and then we have some troughs. So it's very hard with the, um, the population to maintain a really, really high level where we're going for the gold medals every year. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we would have groups that come up and we won, you know, a number of uh, a number of medals during my time and certainly during Neil's time, we won a number of medals. So South Australia certainly, um, you know, bats above its weight and, and always has and I'm sure they'll continue to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that's my experience too, I guess. I've um, always been very strong uh, playing South Australian teams. So just wanted to ask you a little bit too about, I know, your assistant coach with the Australian under 17 team. And I just wanted to ask a little bit about, you know, what role did you have there? Um, you probably did that for a couple of years. What are the challenges, you know, like in working with a, with a team, particularly, uh, you know, that under 17 age group sort of level? Um, so I did two campaigns. Um, I came in on the first campaign a little bit late. Um, I was asked to come in and uh, that was with Mark Watkins as the head coach and Justin Chuller as the other assistant. And uh, I came in time for the Oceana qualifiers, uh, which is a bit different to how it, what, how it operates today. Uh, we went to New Zealand and played in a little tournament. Um, we lost to New Zealand by 20 uh, during the qualifying games, played New Zealand in the final. And ended up beating them by two or three, I think, which qualified us for the world championships. So, uh, oh, nice. which was very, very exciting for, for everyone and uh, especially me. I was uh, hugely <laughs> excited to be able to go on that trip. Uh, we went to Spain and played. Um, it was a fascinating time for me. We had some, some great players. Um, interesting in the build up and the amount of travel and the amount of time. It's, it's certainly um, it's time consuming. Yeah. Um, which you'd expect, um, but a great learning process. Uh, Mark Mark Watkins was a fantastic coach and a fantastic person to me. Uh, and working with Justin Shuler was fantastic. Uh, the team ended up uh, we ended up seventh, I think, that year. Oh, yeah. um, we we won some some very crucial games. 
Uh, we unfortunately lost to Canada in the first game of the tournament where I think we were 20 down, went to 10 up, then went and lost by six, I think, in the end. And that's uh, RJ Barrett was the superstar in that Canadian team. All right. Uh, he did a dunk with about a minute to go where he nearly, he nearly jumped through the hoop. It was an <laughs> unbelievable play. Nice. Um, but to go to a world championship and, and see uh, all the best talent, uh, a lot of NBA players that were in the American team, uh, but also just to, to be around that and see, uh, again, you know, huge workload there for assistant coaches. Mm. Um it was, uh, yeah, you certainly come home very tired and worn out. It is not a holiday. Um, but it was fantastic being in Spain in the middle of summer. Uh, it was a beautiful place. And I managed to get out and meet uh, a couple of uh, assistant coach, college coaches while I was there and uh, have a pizza and a Coca-Cola at midnight or one o'clock in the morning because it was uh, such beautiful weather. And that's how that city operated. So uh, mm. one of my favorite things and something I want to do with my wife uh, when our kids leave home is uh, to go to Spain in the middle of the summer and uh, yeah, um, just uh, be able to appreciate such a lovely country and, and the way that their culture works. Yeah, yeah. I was had uh, Dale Ryan on the podcast a few weeks ago and he talked about living in Spain and, and just the weather and everything. I thought, yeah, wow, sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. And then the second campaign, um, Justin Schuler moved into the head coaching position uh, and myself and Nathan Cooper-Brown was the other assistant coach and uh, we qualified through Asia on that trip, which was a different way of doing it. Yep. Um, and we won the Asian Championships. We won it convincingly. Um, we had some players in that team that will go on to some, some dizzying heights, I think. Not that we didn't in the first team. Um, but uh, I think uh, Luke Travis is going to be a, 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 an excellent uh, NBL player. Uh, Tamri Wigness. Um, mm. We had some great players in, in that. We had uh, a couple of AFL players, too, that were just drafted. And so um, it was a team full of talent. And we, uh, we went away. And I think we finished sixth in that. Uh, in Argentina we went to, into a All little right. country town in Argentina. Um, unfortunately, it was in the middle of winter and freezing cold. <laughs> and um, in that, we played uh, three round, uh, three games in the first round and we won two by two points and we lost one by two points. And oh, yeah. um, it was, I think, the biggest margin up until we played Lithuania, I think we ended up beating them quite convincingly. But up until that was the biggest margin was four points. And that was in the quarterfinals. We lost to Canada by four, I think four or five. And so yeah. every game was uh, nip and tuck and uh, uh, a, a great learning experience. And, and again, just great to be at a world championship. So it was an absolute privilege to, to go to those things and, and witness um, you know what the rest of the world's doing and, and mm. talk to a lot of different coaches um, we actually stayed in the same hotel as the Americans on that one so that was an interesting thing for us and uh, we got to spend some time with their coaches so again yeah. fantastic experience and something that um, yeah I'll never forget and, and be forever grateful for yeah so in, in that role as a assistant coach with a national uh, junior team like you talked a little bit about the the work that's required but um can you go into a little bit more detail about you know i guess preparation for an event like that and then when you're there you know the the types of stuff that you've got to do obviously scouting the big part of it and and then relaying that information to the players in a way that they can they can absorb it and do something with it 
so we had very set procedures and and look um during selection camps and and preparation camps we would video every training session we would break down every bra- uh, training session um and give feedback to individuals so we would do team uh, team feedback and then individuals feedback we would do scouting reports once we got away to to championships or pre um pre-tournaments um we would do extensive um scouting reports extensive scouting um and and we would put together written scouting reports um most of the time i would do the opposition's offensive uh how did we do it i can't even remember but um justin did uh, justin and i virtually halved the work and and you had to um yeah because we were, we would as soon as we come back from a game that we'd played, we would review that game very quickly, cut up tape on the bus on the way back, um, finish it off as quickly as we could, um, go and have a meal, come back, um, watch that, and then as soon as we finish that, then we'd be on to the next game, um, which mm. would be the next day, and trying to um, get everything that we could, um, cut up their game from that day. Um, if we needed to cut up two or three days um, games, put them together. So it was watching and look, it's not much different to what you would do when you're an assistant coach for a, at a national junior championships um, for Queensland or South Australia or, yeah. or whatever. Yep. Um, and you know, the difference I suppose being was that uh, all of us had um, computers, all of us had um, sports code. So we could all cut down tape and we would all, cut it down so we would like i said we'll be doing um post-game review um pre-game scouting reports um both written and uh, video and then we would do individual video and try and give each player feedback after every second or third game we would give them feedback on what they need to improve on yeah that, no, that's good and and i think you know just having understanding of, of the detail and you know i guess the breadth of the stuff that you have to do too it sort of just gives people a bit of an idea like you said it's not a holiday uh, it is quite full on and then um you know uh how, how much those things support the decisions that got to be made you know during games very much so uh, and, and look it would be you'd be lucky to be in bed by one and you were certainly up uh, no later than seven o'clock. Um, I tried to set my alarm for six six a.m. and get up and try and do some stuff. Um, but there was times where we were up until two or three in the morning because you couldn't go to bed until you had the scouting report done yeah. uh, for the next day. So um, yeah, it, it's no holiday at all, and you are physically and mentally exhausted when you get back. Yeah, nice. So, Dave, just moving on now, we're going to went over, made the move for, uh, over to uh, Victoria and took over the the role of director of basketball operations at Knox Basketball. So, what does that role involve? And and I know from having talked to other people that Knox is a pretty big association. Knox is a huge association, mate. Uh, we have on any weekend uh, our local domestic comp- junior domestic competition has seven hundred teams. And then we have about 400 senior domestic teams during the week. Uh, And then we have 40 um, association teams, the Knox Raiders, that play in the VJBL on Friday night. Um, So it's a big operation uh, with lots of moving parts. Um, But And then we have our senior teams as well, which is uh, we have a senior men's team, a youth league team um, in both men and women. So there's lots of moving parts uh, and it's certainly... I've had to uh, gain some new skill sets and it's um, taught me a lot uh, in the very short time I've been here. Yeah. What is uh, Knox's you know, mission, I guess, in terms of, of how they're going to deliver basketball down there in Melbourne? 
Well, for me, um, certainly since I've been here, it's all about trying to get the kids, the coaches to coach the right way, the kids to play the right way. Um, It's tough in the VJBL. VJBL is a massive beast. Um, And you can quickly get caught up. We have grading. And so you have to win quickly. Um, And I'm not a fan of it, um, but grading starts week one. And so you have to win um, to make the elite levels. And... uh, I've sort of made it difficult on our coaches by making them um, play. I basically have 70-30 rules. So 70% of the time they must run concepts and not set plays and 30% of the time they can run set plays. And then the same on the defensive end, 70% of the time man-to-man, 30% of the time they can use disruptive defenses. Uh, And that's a big change um, because if you watch a lot of uh, VJBL basketball, uh, a lot of it is a diamond and one press um, and uh, set plays. And we're trying to change that culture just because, again, I'm very big on on players being adaptable and players playing the right way and, and trying to teach them not for this level and not how to win today but for how to win down the track, but more importantly, how to make teams, how to make state teams, how to make national teams. And uh, it's a big focus for, for high performance and, and uh, certainly that's the, the focus that I've brought into to Knox. Yeah. Is that, a, um, I guess, a strategy that's the same at every age group or does it sort of change, you know, I'm thinking it, it might be a little bit more specific as you get up into the older age groups. Uh, I, I try not to. Um, and again, look, it's the most successful clubs in VJBL for the most part, they have club offences and club defences. Right. And um, I'm trying to not do that because, again, a big part of me having travelled overseas is adaptability. Yeah. And so um, we've hamstrung our coaches to a certain extent by making them do that. Yeah. Um, but, of course, it varies. You know, we have uh, – Six under twelve boys, six under twelve. Uh, so we have four under twelve girls, uh, seven under fourteen boys team, six under fourteen girls. Um, so we have a lot of teams, and it varies. The difference between the top and the bottom is is extensive, and yeah. so um, that's why I, I try and give the coaches room um, to be innovative and to put their own stuff in and give them guidelines. I'm very big on guidelines and not rules. Yeah, I think rules back you into corners you can't get out of. And guidelines are a little bit more rubbery, um, and that's why the seventy thirty is is a guideline. It's not yeah. a rule. Uh, I don't sit on the sideline and, and and have a stopwatch, um, but that's just some guidelines that I give the coaches. Yeah, nice. And do they uh, have the uh, no zone rule down there as well? In under fourteen, uh, up to under fourteens, they certainly do. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that doesn't stop zone presses. No. Um, it, it, and, and I'd like to see uh, the no zone rule be extended. In, um, we have a lot of players where, um, you know, they run around and chase the ball like crazy and, and they do cause a lot of turnovers. Uh, but I think once we get into higher grades, we can't defend, we can't stay between our man and the basket. And so mm. we have to learn the difference between um, pressuring um, and containment. Um, and containing is really, really important today's game because once someone blows by you, uh, they're creating and drawing second lines of defence and all sorts of things. So uh, we used to have a, a bit of a saying with the national program is that uh, to be a national player, uh, you've got to be able to beat your man 
and get to the basket. Uh, and the exact opposite on defense, you need to be able to stay between your man and the basket. And uh, mm. They're the two main skills that we're looking for when we look for national players. Yeah, for sure. I guess for the non-Victorians who might be listening, what's the rivalry like between the Melbourne-based clubs? I know um, I talked with Ian Stacker on the podcast uh, earlier on in the piece and uh, he mentioned a little bit about, you know, it goes back a long way. <laughs> in terms there, of- there, is, there is a lot of traditional clubs here, but there is a, Melbourne is just growing. Um, yeah. And the population has just grown so fast that there is, um, you know, you have your old traditional clubs, your none award inspectors, etc. Uh, but there's a lot of new ones coming, and there's a lot of talent going to those because a lot of those new clubs start are on the peripheral um, of Melbourne, and so that's where a lot of the young families are. So they get very mm. good very quickly and very big. Um, Casey, um, which Darren Best uh, is is running. Uh, the Casey Basketball Association, um, and they have. He, I went and had a coffee with him a while ago, and he told me that they had 17 housing developments going up within 10 minutes of the stadium out there. Wow. And they will be the biggest basketball association in Australia um, very soon, and it is just growing at a at a rapid rate of knots. Mm. Yeah, so obviously facilities got to keep up with that as well, and and I know Victoria have you know just an awesome what seems to be you know, from the outside looking in, like an awesome system of using um, I guess council or, or government funded facilities, but also schools and that sort of thing as well. So um, you guys still got like a court shortage that you've got to deal with as well. Very much so, um, and it's amazing the amount of courts there are, but there's still court um, court shortages. Um, Again, uh, we had 12 courts at Knox. Um, we yep. had two stadiums, two six-court stadiums, uh, one that's about to double in size. But we have 12 courts currently, and uh, it is very, very difficult to get a court. Um, mm. If you don't have your normal weekly training time, you can't just come in. Like uh, after 4 o'clock, all courts are full all of the time. And yep. uh, that's just the way it is at every association in Victoria. Courts are very, very difficult to get. Um, but there's it's... it's um, growing um, with, with uh, high schools putting gyms in uh, and like you said uh, Basketball Victoria does a very good job of working with councils and the schools uh, to make sure that those school courts are utilised Yeah nice with uh, Knox as well like uh, you, you talked a little bit about the types of stuff you're doing with coach development but do you have a I guess a bit of a like a plan or individualised plan for coaches um, at, at an association like yours? Um, certainly not uh, just yet for me. Um, I've only been in the role for about eight months and uh, just trying to get my hands on top of everything uh, in, in such a big place. Um, we certainly have coaches. Um, so I have uh, I have a, uh, a male coordinator and a female coordinator that work underneath me. Yeah. Um, and they spend a lot of time with coaches. So between the three of us, we spend a lot of time with coaches. Um, but for me, especially in this first 12 months, it's just trying to change the mindset um, and, and trying to get them to uh, to trying to teach them how to play out of concepts and not be so rigid, and teaching kids how to play from A to B and B to C, but teaching them how to read the game mm-hmm. and uh, read and react, and and again just playing straight man to man defense. And um, I was privileged the other night to go and watch Chris uh, Oliver Clinic in Melbourne, and and he talked a lot about sometimes um, playing, especially at training where you have no help. Mm. And, um, getting everyone up in denial and no help positioning um, just so that 
when there's help, sometimes it can be really easy for the ball defender to get bailed out. Yeah. And um, not having any help makes them um, makes them contain the ball. And, and we have to do more of that, being, having the ability to apply pressure but contain without applying pressure and having people blow by you um, because that's when all the problems occur for defences. Yeah. I mean, how important is it, do you think, to have people come come by every now and then like Chris Oliver? Like he was up here in Brisbane as well and and ran some pretty successful clinics. So um, how, how important is that just to get a, a fresh perspective every now and then, do you think? I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, we always – the education journey for coaches is continuous as it is for players and you've, you've got to continually be um, – I always talk to the coaches about you need to be continually updating um, what your uh, coaching uh, mindset is and and continually updating it. And every drill that you see and every action that you watch or observe from a coach, you should be uh, looking deeply into that, whether you like that, whether you don't like it, why you like it, why you don't like it, um, and adapt constantly updating and adapting what you do. Um, so that if a coach or a player comes and asks you, why are we doing this? You can give them an answer off the bat that we're doing this because of this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, that's one of my big things that your, your coaching philosophy needs to be constantly updated and you constantly need to be working on it. Mm. And, and in terms of what you've seen and, and what you're seeing down there, you're seeing anything that's real cutting edge at the moment or is everything old is new again and or things come around to go around? Or oh, I think there's a bit of all of that. And certainly, um, you know, I think basketball in Australia is always cutting edge. Mm. Uh, we, we, we do a great job of, of staying up to date with things, but you are right. Uh, what is old is new again. Uh, and again, that's why you can't stand still. And that was uh, one of the great teachings I had from Andre Lamanis was um, when I first came back from coaching in China, I was very rigid in what I taught and how I taught it. And uh, he certainly opened my mind to a lot of different things and changed uh, how I coach and how I approach things and how we teach. And uh, I have obviously a, a great deal of uh, respect for Andre and how he goes about things and how he teaches. Yeah. And um, moving on to, I guess, what, what's coming up for you. I see you're um, going to be involved with the Victorian under-20 men's team with uh, head coach Chris Anstey. And, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be the team man, uh, the team manager for the Victorian yeah. under-20 teams, which is, uh, again, something new for me. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I want to try and make sure that uh, I've been across all the spots and done lots of different things and making mm. sure that, uh, you know, I, I've obviously been to a lot of junior national championships in the last six years. I haven't missed one. Yeah. Um, so I, I go to all of them. Um, but to, to go there as a team manager is something different for me. And, again, I'm sure I'll learn uh, some new skills and uh, – have a newfound admiration for um, uh, team managers and what they do, and um, have a, have a lot thorough, lot more thorough understanding of it. Yeah, and just having done that role a couple of times, just keep the food up to the players, and you'll be right. That's uh, what, the main aim, mate. Uh, of, uh, we're lucky here. Um, Victoria will be sending two teams to that championship. We have the Victorian team and the Victorian A team. Right. And the manager for the Victorian A team is Neil Mottram. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we've been spending a lot of time together and trying to work out uh, 
meals and then shopping <laughs> lists and uh, how do we do this and what are we doing there and so uh, it's interesting to watch two guys that have been around basketball for a long time and um, uh, and and reach some some good heights in the in the game but uh, be bumbling and fumbling around as managers so uh, it's been an interesting journey for both of us uh, i've got a good recipe for spag bog i can send you Thanks, mate. Um, probably be buying that from the local pizza bar. Uh, um, we'll be cooking, and uh, we'll be cooking extensively. And uh, as you know, when you go away with state teams, it's all hands on deck, and you expect physios and players and coaches. Everyone, uh, everyone helps out, and uh, you know it's that's part of the journey and part of the the great camaraderie that's built up on state trips because everyone's there to help. Uh, and make sure it's a, a fun and successful time. Yeah, that's right. It's all about the experience too, I think. And, you know, like uh, you sort of see kids in a different environment and it's, uh, yeah, their opportunity to shine really. That's a, Most of the time there's pretty good support structure around them in terms of the coaches and the manager. And, and uh, yeah, I think the kids can really just focus on, on doing well and playing basketball. Correct, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to spending some time with uh, who may be our next NBA star, um, Josh Giddy, who's on our team. So that'll be interesting to see him up close and be around him. Yeah, nice. And uh, you mentioned before a um, couple of kids, and uh, your kids playing basketball yet, or you? Just... I have a I have a son that plays and a daughter that rebelled. She doesn't like <laughs> basketball at all. Uh, but my son plays a lot and um, he's made some state teams and missed out on some state teams. So uh, yep. he's, um, you know, riding the journey uh, and yep. grinding away. Uh, but he loves the game and uh, loves learning about it. And, um, you know, he has a high basketball IQ, so he might get into coaching one day. Who knows? Yeah. Um, it's up to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, mate, any, any other uh, things happening in 2020 for you? Uh, no, mate. Um, Knox keeps me busy, and um, just looking for the uh, looking forward to the under twenty state team uh, coming up very very soon. Um, which we've had a, a week of trainings this week, so just looking forward to, to that, and uh, and then just the the uh, the VJBL journey, yep. um, which goes through until September. So no, that's all on the on the all for me this year. Yeah, nice. So uh, it sounds like you got plenty on your plate, and mate, I just wanted to say thanks for um, making some time available today to have a chat always good to catch up and, and particularly like in your role there at Knox you know like with your background and I think your um, not only your playing experience but your coaching experience as well like you've got a lot to offer and certainly a, a good appointment for Knox to get you in a position like that and uh, help influence and shape how that association's going to go in the future. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. Appreciate the kind words. I don't know whether everyone at Knox agrees, but uh, <laughs> we'll keep um, grinding away and um, and making sure that uh, we try and leave the place in a better place than uh, when I arrived. Uh, and when I arrived, it was in a good spot. So don't think that that was uh, it, it was in a bad spot. But uh, just continual improvement and continually trying to make adjustments for the betterment of the club. Nice. All right, mate. Well, uh, take care and all the best, thing. Thanks, mate. Appreciate okay. it. Bye bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at OzBballCoach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening. (laughs) 